0: We want the dynamite from the post recent site you lighting up the fuse Sit back and enjoy the bubbly This we hear from John and Wayne Tate Where we're going, we don't need roads And if the buck stops, here, yeah, this thing might blow Everything you hear are opinions of the show And if you don't like it, go to the Forbes and let them know
1: Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting on
0: Wednesday night. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm okay. Oh, I know. I know that's sort of okay. It's been a long day, man. It's mm-hmm. been a really
1: long day. So I'm I'm hoping that my energy level, uh, you can lift me up.
0: It's uh, certainly been a long day, um, but man, are you ready for? No, whatever
1: whatever is going to come at the end of your sentence, I'm not ready for it. You could tell me mm. uh like coins from the sky. I'm not ready for. I'm coins barely ready to climb the stairs at the end
0: of this particular show. It's just that, you know, like um like the next week's going to be crazy. <laughs> like just in the world, you know.
1: Yeah, what What are your thoughts on Tuesday, us being Canadians? Like, I feel if I was in the U.S., I think I would be
0: on edge. What I'm expecting is... As a Canadian, I'm on edge.
1: Yeah. I I think that there's um, a certain worldly interest in this election more than than many of our lifetime. Than any other, I would say. Probably. um, 2016 was important, but I don't think it was... uh, viewed as such until like the day after and then it Mm -hmm. was like that to me the fact you and i were there in the epicenter that was new york city that next day will be a a day i will never forget as long as i live
0: well you i i mean we've told the story before but like you and i were there covering the the mcgregor fight which happened to be in in madison square garden that weekend and so you know, like, we get there a, a few days early. It was the night of the election. And so, like, we went to the bar, checked out a bit of coverage, kind of treating it like any other election. Oh, it's kind of like a sports night. Were we there Monday
1: or Tuesday? I think we got there to, I think we got there on election day, if I recall.
0: Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then, you know, I, I, I was so tired. Like, I had traveled all day, worked all day. I went to bed early thinking, oh, okay, of course, Hillary's going to win. <laughs> you know, wake up the next day, the world's going to be normal. I wake up at midnight. And I'm like, John, so what happened? <laughs> you told me Donald Trump won. And I thought you were shitting me. Um, but What the fuck? That was re- honestly your response. That was my reaction, absolutely. And so, um, I mean, being in New York, the reaction obviously is going to be, you know, very different than maybe other parts of the world. But, yeah, the rest of that week was really strange. Like, the very next day, like, in, yeah. in New York City. Like, it was, you yeah, know, just mass. Like, very somber.
1: Because we, we went to a bar that was very, like, pro-Hillary. And the early returns are coming in. And it's like people are, you know, pretty excited. And it's almost like it felt like we were at a New Year's Eve party. And, you know, we left there around, like, 8, 8.30. So it's still relatively early. And I think it was after you woke up. It was, like, 1 a.m. or so that I left our hotel just to walk towards Times Square. And it was... Like I've never been in a environment where I could see so many people. This wasn't like New Year's Eve level of people in Times Square, but it was a lot of people out there just watching the coverage on the big screens. But it was so quiet. It was just, it was unreal. Like I just, uh, I-, I couldn't believe it. And the next day, like we saw people crying. There was, just, it was just such a somber mood in New York City, and it was like, I was, like, I'm semi-detached as a Canadian, but not completely, so it's like, I have, I, I certainly have, uh, you know, feelings about it, but it was just, to be there, uh, it it certainly, I think, had much more of an impact than if, say, we had been back home just watching the coverage.
0: Yeah, like, seeing the reaction in New York, honestly, like, to me, it didn't really hit me, like, why people were so upset, because um, to me, it's like... Um I I was more like hey let's see what's going to happen I mean how much can this guy really do like I mean they have a whole system set up so that nobody can really get too crazy Well um 4 years later I absolutely understand why people were so upset um and so it's it it's all leading up to this next week and why this is so important it's been you know a lot of that real kind of anxiety uh, really come to fruition for a lot of people and so, yeah, well, it's it, it's just a big week. And again, uh, you don't need us to remind you, if you have the privilege to vote, please do so.
1: Do you think we will have a winner this time next week? Because most are I won't say most, but a lot of people are expecting there to be a disputed election. And this thing is going to drag like year 2000 dragging.
0: Oh, God, I have no idea. I mean, if there's like when you say drag, I mean, what needs what needs to happen like for that to occur? Has there ever been? Okay,
1: let's play a scenario. Okay, I'm going to give you a sentence and you tell me if you believe that both candidates are capable of delivering this statement. Congratulations on the victory. I'm officially conceding.
0: I would, okay, so what happened in previous years?
1: Well, in previous years, we've had a relatively safe uh, transfer of of power, a a non-controversial transfer of power, the major exception of our lifetime being in 2000 when it came down to the state of Florida and a mess of an election night where networks had called it for gore, then retracted their call, then... Uh, Like Fox News called it for Bush and then it was disputed and we had – I mean it had to be – you had to recount the ballots. You had to go through – everyone had to learn what a hanging chad was. It was a month of insanity and I think that that's a very possible outcome here that this time next week uh, we are just looking at uh, a disputed election.
0: So would we get like a Royal Rumble 1994 scenario?
1: Uh, y- yeah, that that would ex- that would exactly be it.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I suppose it's possible. I shit anything is possible in 2020. There could be a somehow a coins falling from the sky. I don't know. Um,
1: Who knows? We can we can hope for the best. Maybe yeah. maybe this thing will turn out. There's just a uh,
0: winner loser. I just hope like no matter what, I just hope like there's there's safety at the end of it. You know, it's anyway. Yeah, a lot can happen.
1: Well. A lot can happen, including uh, a winner of our weekly draw here on Rewind to Dynamite. If you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, then you are going to be entered into this draw that we are about to pick a name from. There will be no disputed outcome. We will have a clear-cut, concise winner, and all the others will just have to concede defeat.
0: Sounds good to me.
1: Are we ready to draw a name? I'm is ready. I All right. Way is going in. He is looking for that name. The winner, the undisputed winner of this week's draw, winner of an item from the Post Wrestling Store, is
0: congratulations to Joshua. Joshua Ortiz. I believe I oh, know. Oh, local yeah, we,
1: Joshua Ortiz. Yeah,
0: exactly. We know Joshua Ortiz from Toronto. So congratulations to you, Joshua, from
1: Toronto. And I have seen in so many cities throughout uh, Canada and the U.S. Uh, the man, the man has never found a local show that he cannot make his way to, or a international event as well.
0: You know what? It, at this point, it, like it's it's been a yearly occurrence, running into Joshua down at WrestleMania weekend. So uh, unfortunately, of course, that didn't happen this year, but uh still it was it, it'll be nice to interact with you just to get your a confirmation of your Toronto address Joshua so congratulations to you,
1: yeah, look forward to seeing you in about six years the next time I go to a wrestling show. All right, let's get into it way um quick site notes we're not gonna go through everything here, but uh Friday we're gonna have two shows coming out uh, one will be with Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics on Thursday evening. They'll be releasing w w e their third quarter earnings report and then the, the big this, – this is replacing pay-per-views. It's their earnings call with all of the stock analysts. So that will be uh, happening on Thursday night at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I hate – I hate this new uh, doing the call at 5 earnings report at 4 o'clock. Like it, in the course of my day, like 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, it's just like plan anything in that time. It's just the worst for me that day. So these earnings calls, I'm going to have to – I'm going to have to talk to this company. Talk to yeah, Ben. Get these things back to back to Thursday mornings. I liked it much better that way. Anyway, Friday, I'll be chatting with Brandon about all the fallout of that. Friday night, we will have Rewind to Smackdown live for our patrons at 10.15 Eastern Time. And then Saturday, it's Halloween, which means movie time. We've got the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. We've got a Halloween 3 review with Davey and Brayden. And then Sunday... WH Park will take us into November with the long and winding road with the returning Davy Portman. It's it is all Davy this weekend, and they will be reviewing the Kenta Kobashi Doctor Death match from August of nineteen ninety-three as WH continues to navigate nineties All Japan Pro Wrestling.
0: And if you haven't already listened to it before listening to this podcast, of course, tonight on Up Next, those two will be reviewing Davey and Braden will be reviewing the Halloween Havoc edition of NXT. And in addition to that, if you go to youtube.com slash upnext, you can probably get a replay of their NXT Halloween Havoc watch along and uh, Halloween party. You can see all the beautiful costumes. Um, I feel really bad. Like, I got a text from Davey asking me if I was going to make an appearance. I didn't have a costume. So I I, I, I didn't make it. Did you make it, John?
1: Uh, I didn't get a text, so I wasn't invited.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure you're invited. I, I guess
1: Davey just assumed.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at just the screen cap of this place right now. It is amazing. I see, like, a warrior, ultimate warrior. I see... Well, I don't want to spoil it, really. Oh, my God. I think I see a slapjack. Oh, jeez. Uh, YouTube.com slash upnext, everybody. Go check it out.
1: Check that out. Uh, Great Halloween costume party from the upnext crew. <laughs> into the news we go um you know very very sad story today and that is the passing of tracy smothers the man who had uh, to me one of my one of my favorite catchphrases a wrestler ever had way t is for terrible h is for hell u is for ugly and g is for jail because a thug can't spell wow fantastic excellent tracy smothers uh passing away at the age of 58 um you know, he he had been open about, you know, he had been battling cancer, uh, had recently been hospitalized, also uh, had had problems with his heart. Um, a GoFundMe had been set up uh, not too long ago by Chris Hero, and they were set to do a pair of fundraising shows in, in November uh, for Smothers and his medical bills. And before I get into his career, just such an outpouring today for Tracy Smothers, and it's not just his contemporaries, but it's really astounding to see what an impact he had in all of these locker rooms because I mean he was wrestling up until a year ago. Uh so many young talent that this guy just took under his wing and just seemed to be someone that was a total open book when it came to helping people, a uh, tremendous personality that seemed to get along with everyone. And I think it's really something when you have a guy who, you know, started wrestling in 1982, and here you have a link from that territorial period throughout the 80s, 90s, right up until the present day independent scene. Like, this guy was in the clusterfuck last year and <laughs> just seemed to be someone that all of these young performers today and, like, multiple generations of them just glowing about this guy.
0: Yeah, it seems like everybody, like, was cool with him. like Or it seemed like he was cool with almost everybody, no matter what age. Um, and just to see like i mean we do a rewind away you know retro review podcast and to see him pop up in like early 90s we just did the bash
1: from 1990 one of the most famous tag matches with the midnight express against uh steve armstrong and tracy smothers from 30 years ago
0: yeah i'm more familiar with him through his ecw run so like for me it's almost like a bit of a you know like discovery to see him in that sort of like perhaps you know original um iteration where he might have been more well known but uh uh, yeah certainly a, a very varied and long career
1: yeah he went through many territories uh early on you know florida memphis and a lot of people got to see him uh through his his teaming with steve armstrong and they went through uh various names they were you know the They they were the wild eyed Southern boys. Then you know in the in the NWA they were just the Southern boys, and eventually the Young Pistols, uh, the various names that they went through. But that's where on a national level, where a lot of people got to see them was uh, there in the late eighties into the nineties as as part of the NWA and WCW. They were US Tag Champions at one point, but that was a time when it was such a deep tag division that was always a hallmark of a lot of NWA cards was their tag division and splintering it. Cause you also had your United States tag titles. And, you know, if you go out and see some of their matches with, with the likes of of the midnight express and a whole host of others, um, that great American bash 1990 match, it's, it's a spectacular uh, tag match from, from that era, you know, throughout uh, that time, he left WCW in 1992. And that's where he goes to smoky mountain wrestling, where he had his biggest, Singles run um, with Jim Cornette launching that that particular territory, and he came in and right off the bat – he cuts this promo about his heel turn in WCW. And since he's coming in as the big baby face, he cuts this promo explaining like all, all the suits at, 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 TBS. And it just, it just soured him. And he had to basically talk himself out of this heel turn that all these fans had seen from him, uh, so that he could have this big baby face run in smoky mountain wrestling. And he had a, he was, he was the guy that, uh, really established the, the beat, the champ, uh, title that they had which was not completely different from the the king of pro wrestling title that new japan's just uh installed but the idea of the beat the champ title was you would b- become this the, the holder of this title and then for each match you'd win it the pot would raise until you would hit five thousand dollars and if you hit five matches in a row you would get a thousand per win then it would be vacated and you'd get $5,000 in storyline. So he was kind of attached to that title. He also won the Smoky Mountain wrestling heavyweight title. And once Smoky Mountain uh, went out of business, you know, he would pop up for that run in the WWF where they renamed him uh, Freddie Joe Floyd, which was a total playoff of the Briscoe brothers and th- their full names. Um, you know, he was really just in an enhancement role in WWF. But then he had the stint in the USWA where they had their affiliation with the WWF. So they had their own kind of version, uh, the, the their own local contingent of the Nation of Domination, which Smothers joined and renamed himself Shaquille Ali after Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal and Muhammad Ali. And it kind of served as like a precursor for what we would see in ECW, like this more comedic version of this guy who has uh, no concept of his uh, cultural identity. Uh, going to ECW as part of the full-blooded Italians and just playing it, like, to the for all it was worth and just seeing him, like, here's this, this veteran from the territorial days that was able to adapt to a totally different time period in pro wrestling and do it very, in an entertaining fashion. Um, him and Guido won the tag titles briefly together in ECW. And then, you know, he just, like, went all over the place, like, just being, like, journeyman on the independent scenes like he had a stay in ovw in 2000 when they were uh, attached to the wwf and just went all over the place right up until you know these last few years where he was a constant on aiw shows did game changer wrestling shows um back when iwa mid-south was kind of going through that period where you had the likes of Uh, CM Punk and Colt Cabana and Chris Hero were mainstays getting like a lot of like newsletter coverage through their work in IWA Mid-South. Like Smothers was there and they all looked at him as a huge mentor to them at the time. Uh, Punk put out uh, quite a tribute for uh, Tracy Smothers today. And as I said, like he wrestled up until last year. His last match was in October of last year in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And at the end of last year, he announced that he had cancer and was also having the heart problems and had just been hospitalized over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, He also put out a book earlier this year. So, I mean, at least he did get to put out a book before he passed away. He was a guy that, you know, just endless stories, just given like this resume of all the different places and people and different generations he worked. But I think it's, it's a real tribute to him that, it's very easy in this industry to come up in a time period and you're very much locked to that. And you, you're you taught a certain way and you believe like this is – these are the parameters of which I was taught and therefore this is the, the right way to do it or the wrong way conversely. And I think the ones that are able to adapt the most, they're the teachers. They are the ones that understand like this next – the next generation's – like you adapt and you can take principles from all different eras and it's all professional wrestling. And he seemed to be one of those guys that was not this rigid person about, you know, uh, a strict convention of principles for wrestling. And that was reflected in all of these different people that he was able to work with and mentor.
0: Seemed like an incredibly colorful career. Um, and yeah, uh, not very old. 58. Though. Yeah a shame
1: uh so we have a full story up on uh, postwrestling.com if you want to check out uh, more of that uh the other other two stories here they're not uh specific to pro wrestling although there are ties to it um adam schefter of espn is reporting that the nfl uh they're setting up for the super bowl which is currently scheduled for february 7th and the tie-in to wrestling is that it's taking place at Raymond James stadium in Tampa, which is where we expect WrestleMania to be next year. And we've talked about before the fact that the government in Florida, they have been, you know, just go for it. If you guys want to have full crowds, like they they've told like the home teams in Florida, like you can do it, but it's the NFL that's been capping themselves. And, uh, Adam Chefters reporting that the NFL is kind of a- aiming for 20% capacity at the Super Bowl, uh, which would be mean of around 13 to 15,000 people, um, which is like think of the revenue that the NFL is foregoing here without any kind of government regulation that they're being bound by, um, I guess. And the NFL has also put out a statement about this, not necessarily uh, stating this to be the fact, but said that, you know, it'll probably be around 20 percent, although that figure could grow Once they get closer to the game, it is several months away, but it would be 20% capacity with fans and pods, six feet apart, wearing masks. So this is the case of like the NFL sort of instituting their own protocol. And I guess the question will be if we find WrestleMania in the same stadium, like ultimately WWE is, it feels like going to be the ones controlling like their protocols. Will they be uh, as strict as the NFL? Uh,
0: you know, I mean, one of the indicators might be like the fact that they very much, I think, have that ability to to open up right now and they haven't. And I think uh, much of it will come down to for, you know, like a large scale national international company like the NFL or the WWE uh, will be, you know, how much public scrutiny they will face if they just went ahead and did it all um i think that's something they do care about i think that that public image um you know how they might appear to other sponsors in the future to tv networks i still think that will be something that that'll be there to kind of keep them in check you know so um i I, it just seems to indicate that like um i mean florida sort of like the parent who's like you want to try that go for it just uh you know, don't tell your mom, like that type of thing. And but it, it's like the child knows better than the actual parent. So do, do
1: you see WrestleMania drawing fifteen thousand people in this climate?
0: Fifteen thousand. Um WrestleMania traveling
1: Man- you would assume <laughs> is gonna be way, way down. Um and, you know, and, now, I, and, and are we talking LA? No, now Florida, we're talking Tampa. Florida,
0: right, Tampa. Um, fifteen thousand. I th- I think they could do it. Like with people driving, with people from from nearby states, Florida itself. I think it's doable.
1: I do think it's going to be like just looking at it now. Like this could all be completely um uh, irrelevant by the time we get to WrestleMania time next year because it's several months away. But I think given that it's Florida, I think you are going to see a lot of independent companies take their chances. And if they can book buildings, they will. And I think they're, they're going to try, uh, as opposed to California, where I think it would be much more restrictive.
0: How many people can fit on that Jericho cruise?
1: Oh Lord. I I don't know what the exact number is.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that thing sold out and like, (laughs) I don't, I I think 15,000, I, I think it's, I think they'll, they'll hit it.
1: (laughs) It's a good point. Like they, they did not have any problem, uh, selling that, uh, Th- those those cabins D- did you follow any of the, the the stuff from the world
0: series last night not really no so oh oh yes i have yeah alex patel actually put a thread up on on the forum yeah so the, the big story other
1: you know the the dodgers winning the world series but what happened was one of their players justin turner there was an inconclusive test and what it sounds like is that typically they've been doing the testing for each game the day prior and they've been getting the results before the game. So for whatever reason, um, Justin Turner, there was an inconclusive test and he was playing. And I guess they, they rushed through to get another test. And after the, after the seventh inning, he was taken out of the game. And afterwards they announced that it was due to a positive COVID test. And, you know, people were asking like, should the game have been stopped? Uh, and then afterwards, the Dodgers win the game and he returns to the field for the celebration. And apparently, like the MLB officials had tried to get him to leave and he refused, was not staying socially distant. He didn't have a mask on the whole time. And then this guy goes on Twitter afterwards and says, hey, I'm I'm feeling fine. I don't have any symptoms. And MLB came out today with a statement and they, they pretty much threw this guy under the bus but it has brought about a lot of questions just about enforcement like there's a lot of onus you put on justin turner for this but also like how does that happen like for whatever you want to say like there is no way that any any wrestler or fighter of any company we follow is testing positive and then somehow getting into the uh for lack of a better term field of play like that just and this guys around there were family members that were in this bubble that were on the field celebrating with the players it was like insane that this happened
0: yeah yeah uh it's it wasn't a very good story to read um it, it so so was this you're saying it wasn't an in- inconclusive test the well, first one was an inconclusive test okay. and they re- i I don't know if they
1: did a separate test or just Anyway, it was like later on in the game they got the conclusive result that he was positive.
0: I guess his thinking was, "Hey, I've already played 7 innings of this game." Like if if he's positive then like people have already been exposed. I guess that was his thinking. But either way it's a really bad look. It's a bad look for the team, it's a bad look for uh the MLB's ability to enforce the the these rules. I mean, it's 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 a case where I think I mean the socially responsible thing to do would be to <laughs> celebrate on your own like it's as tough as as it might be like your championship victory for your team um you wanting to go out there I think the message that it sends is definitely a big stain on like the entire league honestly so um you know I don't know it's one of those things where if you ask them... like He'll probably say he he has no regrets but let's just hope you know none of these results come back uh, with positives later
1: um the, the observer had a story on Tuesday night about uh issues coming out of the performance center uh, from last Friday uh, and this was going around on Tuesday uh, regarding talent having to quarantine uh, now we don't have a ton of details on this or any kind of numbers or anything like that uh Fightful did add that NXT does hold like in-house live events uh just to, you know, keep, you know, tabs on talent and progress that's being made and one of these was held last Friday and Fightful reported that many if not all who had attended last Friday had been asked to quarantine. So we don't have many more details beyond that. Uh you know, you and I have not seen NXT yet, but all of the matches that have been advertised happened, so um it it seemed like they went ahead tonight uh, with NXT with the the wrestlers that were scheduled to do matches. Like it didn't seem any of the in ring talent was impacted by this. Uh, I did reach out to WWE. They did not comment on this, um, or at least have not responded. So, um, and and that's typically you know they don't typically comment on th- th- these stories. Like there is their decision of not really uh, addressing any of this.
0: Yeah, um, I, uh, I wasn't,
1: like, I hate to say it, but, like, these stories now coming out of the performance center, like, they're not shocking, and they're almost becoming, like, you know, every couple of weeks, like, a story like this pops up.
0: I would say it's especially not shocking when you see some of the people who work within that facility, um, tweeting the things that they have. And, you know, I'm referring to Road Dog in particular this past week, um, just continuing to really downplay this entire thing. And um, I imagine, you know, from what I've, what I gather, it seems like they're even within the roster themselves, within the pr- people that work within that facility, there's a lot of dissent and, and disagreement about uh, how serious people are taking it. So that can't be a comfortable, comfortable environment for people to practice or train or create within that, I mean, it really is all something that I think, you know, requires like, you know, leadership to really come in and, and say like, yeah, yeah, I, I really, you know, at this point it's like, we're almost what eight months into this whole thing. um I, I don't know how much is going to change.
1: No, I mean, you're, you're running classes in a gym. And I mean, we've seen like through all the cases of, uh, in MMA, like, you know, in, in gyms, like that's, that's going to be a problem area. So I, I don't think we can be, uh, shocked when stories like this come out. Um, but again, like we don't know specifics about how widespread this is. Um, but anyway, that was, uh, that was coming out uh, of Tuesday's, uh, news cycle. Raw rating from Monday night. They did a 0. 0.51 in the demo, a 1,732,000 viewers, um, Really not that, all, not all that down from last week. They were down two percent in viewers, two and a half in the demo. I mean, negligible. Um, but we did see a big first to third hour drop, fifteen percent drop um, in the demo. It was their lowest figure since September twenty-first, and where they really got hit was a uh, young males down twenty-three uh, percent. Their eighteen to thirty-four audience fell twenty, and women 18 to 49 were down 12 percent uh the uptick was with women 12 to 34 that was up 14 percent. this was going against the the nfl game on monday night as well but no world series competition for them so uh this is largely like the average we've been seeing throughout monday night football like that kind of million seven uh and change is sort of like the average that they've been falling into so No strong takeaways from the number this week, other than, you know, certain demos were down. And I would say probably next week, uh, you know, it's the night before the election. I think cable news is going to be through the roof for the time being. And it's not going to end next Tuesday night. There's probably going to be, you know, um, a whole wave of it after the election as well, that that's going to be, you know, something to watch for the Wednesday night shows for – For all shows as well. Just the amount of cable news coverage. Because there could be just a surge of people that are seeking out news shows.
0: It'll be the biggest story in the world. So, yeah.
1: Final topic here I wanted to talk about was on uh, Tuesday night. Impact Wrestling came out of Bound for Glory. And they did the big Johnny Bravo Rosemary wedding. Which included... As much as we were all debating two men breaking out into song last week, a man was risen from the dead as well when Havoc lost a match where the stipulation was she had to go into the undead realm to resurrect the the corpse of James Mitchell, which she did, and he came back to life on this show. And our wedding featured the shooting of Johnny Bravo. And throughout the night, I mean, this was, I, I'm going to say 99% this was Don Callis because this was the total uh, tribute to Who Shot JR. Where well, he's a ho- Dallas fan? Oh, he's a major Dallas fan. Oh. So he, what they did in the episode is that throughout this wedding, Johnny Bravo has been slowly making enemies along the way. So throughout the night, we had all these different scenes with people that were all out for Johnny Bravo. So you have all these different suspects. And then as the wedding concludes, the lights go out and we hear a gunshot. And when the lights come on, there is a presumably dead Johnny Bravo who has been shot. And uh, Tommy dreamer doing his best Bruce Campbell um, to end the show. And way, I sent you this clip. Uh, you're somewhat watching it, uh, just cold. And what did
0: you think of who shot Johnny Bravo? Well, uh, you know, you told me to watch it. Davy Portman, who does the impact review, he was uh, very—he really wanted me to watch it too. So I was watching it, and I mean, immediately when you think wedding, you think you know something crazy is going to happen at the end. I guess I didn't expect. Um, like, we've seen whodunits done plenty of times in pro wrestling. And typically, they come in the form of like a, oh, who attacked this guy backstage? Who attacked this guy in the NXT parking lot? Who ran over this guy? Uh, cars, you know, whodunits with cars. That's that's a really popular thing in wrestling. I don't know if I've ever seen a whodunit where they literally shoot somebody in the chest with the gun. So that was a first. And, um, you know, at, at this point, does anything in wrestling really surprise me? Like, in 2020... No, not really. Like, we've, we've gone everywhere with it. We've gone, like, into people's brains. We've gone into, like, I'm, if, if it was possible, I'm sure we'd have a wrestling match, wrestling angle in space by now. So a guy literally getting shot, I mean, it was very campy in feel, um, and I think it's fun. Listen, it, the fact that you and I are talking about it right now, the fact that Davey told me to watch it, you're t- you told me to watch it, tells me it was a big success for Impact.
1: I'll fully say that I think with Impact, the rules are, if not skewed, out the window. I think Impact, you watch with the idea that here is a company that throws a lot of stuff against the wall. And I think that people do apply different um, different rules to Impact. That here's a show that is trying to build and find an audience. Um, I don't think this stuff generally is going to grow your audience, but I think it will keep your remaining audience like satisfied. You're gonna do this murder mystery that I I think honestly, like there's a lot of this stuff that's so out there that does turn off people that we would see in in Lucha Underground and other places, but in a niche company that impact is, I, I think it's more so acceptable. Like as I mentioned, like they have done, they have literally they have killed off people in the past. Like that's how, that's how they wrote off. Allie was killing her off with Rosemary when she left the company. Um, and they have in Jim Mitchell's case, brought them back from the dead. So I think you are watching with, uh, a different,
0: uh, set of principles. I mean, in terms of like done that too, uh, killed people. Yeah. Like the undertaker. I mean, anytime like the guys, the guy started off as a zombie.
1: They killed Vince McMahon. Yeah. And then kind of just, uh, ignored that um yeah i i think it's uh something for impact to try that they are going to what, what i what i feel this is going to be though like this is all the wrestle house crew and i feel this is going to be kind of like a very much like comedy storyline we'll mm-hmm. see what they do like if they have if this is like i mean you it's know, johnny
0: it's this johnny bravo dude getting killed it's not like you know a main event or like it's a comedy character getting killed also on the
1: show um they brought up heath's injury and they're making it part of the the story now because after rhino won the battle royal he's due for his big contract and he's trying to downplay any kind of injury because he hasn't signed this contract yet so uh that's the storyline they're going with there Uh, They're also going to do the Knockouts Tag Title Tournament starting in uh, three weeks on November 17th. So they're putting together the uh, female teams. And we had the on-screen debut of uh, Robert Evans as barrister Robert Evans, who was the lawyer for Deanna Perazzo, which was this this long uh, tease of a lawsuit, which Scott DeMore said, Here at Anthem, we love ourselves a good lawsuit. And was welcoming them to go into litigation <laughs> and tie up their lawyers for six or seven years. They're fine with that. <laughs> but instead, Diana Purrazzo backed down from this threat, and will take on Sue Young in a rematch next week.
0: <laughs> so those were the keys on
1: on Impact on
0: Tuesday night. Litigation is making a comeback in pro wrestling in 2020.
1: I guess so. Yeah, I guess I guess lawsuits are the way to go. For uh, I
0: wonder, maybe there, there will be, be a category op- in the Best of Best lawsuit script. Well, if Yeah, I wonder
1: if if Rosemary, because her husband was her husband. This was after they said, I do, and were pronounced man and wife, that maybe Rosemary can file, like, a a wrongful death lawsuit or something, like a civil suit beyond, like, uh, criminal proceedings to whoever is caught.
0: You're going to have to get a lawyer on to break it down, I think. Well, there you go.
1: All right, let's get into dynamite—a taped edition of the show, which meant the return of our canned audio.
0: I've really missed it. It makes a huge difference to me.
1: I, I generally like the canned audio. I, th- I think it was like excessive at times.
0: Really, I didn't notice it myself.
1: Well, we began cold with with Dasha interviewing Wardlow and MJF, and this was sort of a. Uh, Going back to prior to MJF challenging John Moxley, where they brought up the fact that, you know, MJF will be proud if Wardlow wins, but if he ever becomes champion, MJF is the champion because he, Wardlow is the property of MJF and Wardlow reluctantly agrees to this. So this is very much the, the Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant, where if Wardlow wins, he is expected to hand the title to
0: MJF. Yeah, and, you know, they are, I would say, pretty infrequently bringing this up, um. as, you know, we'll see after this match, you know, like, Wardlow doesn't win, so, but, you know, nonetheless, they want to remind you that Wardlow has this story going on in the back, really just ultimately setting up his babyface turn, but probably months, months in advance, it's a very slow burn, I'm enjoying this pace.
1: And then Sammy Guevara walks in, throws down the inner circle jacket, and he's pissed off, telling him he hopes MJF never joins the inner circle, and he's going to make sure of it. MJF tells Sammy, I've got a note on some of your promos. Don't. And said that Sammy looks like a guy that sells Adderall to middle schoolers. (laughs) And Sammy came back... That
0: is such a perfect description of how he he was.
1: Yeah, I like... All due respect here to Sammy, like, th- this was a ten eight promo promo uh, in favor of MJF. Sammy just, like, gets into MJF's face and tells him that I'm thinking of all the things I'm going to do to you. And MJF is just, I mean, this guy just jumps through your screen in
0: every one of these segments. We talk a lot about, you know, MJF and his interactions with Chris Jericho um, throughout this entire feud, but it's like... I think the in- interaction between MJF and Sammy Guevara and some of the other members of Inner Circle that are going to be just as interesting. I love the idea that Sammy Guevara, a heel himself, hates this guy is, I mean, jealous perhaps of this guy's uh, and, and and Chris Jericho's attention that he's giving to MJF. It's, it's a really nice little side story.
1: And then we just had them immediately walk out to the entrance and it's Wardlow versus Hangman Page in our first semifinal match. And uh, I-, I thought a really good match between these two. Another great kind of uh, outing for for Wardlow to really show you know all the potential in this guy. Uh, he caught a Pescado attempt by Page and then just drilled him through the barricade with this uh, with this spear. Wardlow's dominating him. Misses a swanton coming off the top. Jim Ross did not did not approve of this decision in Wardlow's uh, arsenal. There's a German suplex, Page lands on the feet, and a clothesline takes Wardlow to the floor, Page hits the top rope moonsault to the floor, and then running, shooting star press, Wardlow kicks out at one. Wardlow then ducks a buckshot lariat, he hits the F10, but Page rolls to the floor to avoid the cover, and then Page ends up fighting with him on the top turnbuckle and tosses him Uh, off the turnbuckle uh, with a throw, almost like a fall-away slam, and then hits a buckshot lariat. Wardlow only goes down to one knee. It takes two buckshot lariats to win the match in 945. Um, You know, like, Wardlow is just this great athletic monster, and I think that they kind of um, balance those, those two very well together. Like, this guy who's, you know, very much like your but like a Brian cage style of monster who can also do some very athletic things. And they got like 10 minutes here. I, th- I thought this was a great showing for Wardlow and hangman page plays a great underneath baby face.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought this was an excellent match. And, you know, for my immediate recollection, I feel like it might've been my favorite Wardlow match thus far in AEW. I thought he looked great while he was in control, kept that, you know, giants presence really well had offense that was you know slower like a giant but also spectacular when it needed to be and it you know wasn't over the top it was never boring it was powerful it was engaging and page very good selling very good comebacks what i particularly loved about this was the finish and i hate to continue to like make comparisons but i have to in this case because especially with the, the way wwe books their these types of matches like Over the past year, like it's gotten really bad. But like this was a match between two guys, both of them up and coming, that you definitely could have seen WWE giving you a non-finish or some type of bullshit DQ thing just to get out of it. And they found a way in this match to book themselves out of this match that was conclusive while making both men come out of it stronger than they were before. Hangman Page gets the hard-fought victory, but it took two of his very powerful finishing move um the buckshot lariat in order to do it and you had Wardlow control the entire match dominate while hangman just kind of barely squeaks by again sacrificing you know using having to use two of his pa- finishers the first one only putting putting warlow down to his knees um you know in terms of ranking of course it's going to be page at the end of this so Wardlow had to lose and i don't think he loses anything because people in people's minds warlow is already ranked underneath hangman page uh who page is on the cusp of that like stardom and wardlow is a long-term project with a lot more room to grow so all you needed to do was to to have him dominate to show that he's more impressive and has a lot more in the tank that he's not even showing yet uh and you know give page a, a huge challenge and obstacle to overcome so by the end of it clean finish and advance both men you know it's it's not really i don't think it should be that hard
1: Are you saying this was a better semi-final than Savio Vega and the roadie?
0: Rewind away number 73. Currently right now on your post-wrestling cafe Patreon feeds. Um, That was not a tournament um, I care to ever revisit again. Um, You know what? Full Gear really could use a Kiss My Foot match, though.
1: Well, there's still a week left.
0: Maybe an I Quit Kiss
1: My Foot match for the main event. Okay. Yeah, maybe Kingston and Moxley take it to the next level. Speaking of which, John Moxley, his latest promo, he's inside the gym, reflecting on his title reign and making this the top title. He says, for all these months, it's been business, but this one with Eddie Kingston, it's personal. And what added to this promo is that we never heard from him, but we just got shots of Eddie Kingston praying
0: with the rosary. I wonder what they shot that footage for. I mean, maybe it was for his Titan Tron or something. And like, i don't know just felt like using it here um
1: (laughs) and i I just want to hear like eddie kingston like speaking like latin giving the
0: like the last rites or something to john moxley uh that would be interesting yeah yeah i like the promo a lot from moxley here you know he he was able to in a brief amount of time get really deep into sort of like the psychological aspect of this i quit match it's a match that i think like when we've seen i quit matches like you know promoted maybe as recent as you know i'm gonna make an exception for roman versus ju Uso because i thought that that had like layers to it attached to it as well but like other i quit matches we've seen promoted in the past are usually like a way of like you know really kind of like testing the endurance it's more of a physical test than like anything else Like, in this instance, though, I thought Moxley was able to convey sort of like the psychological purpose of an I quit match. It's not just something that'll be physically demanding. It's also meant to be emotionally scarring. Getting somebody as proud as Eddie Kingston to say the words, I quit. I thought that was really well conveyed here. Yeah, he says there's no room
1: for Eddie Kingston in AEW. This is for the great athletes that do the work and Moxley crushes windpipes, skulls, and he crushes egos. Protect your neck, Eddie. All this mm. needed was a bitch. <laughs> this is an awesome promo. Yeah, very good. I just I I just want to get Eddie Kingston praying now. Could you imagine Eddie Kingston in his delivery like reciting like our father or something?
0: I don't know how that goes.
1: Our father, who art in heaven? You bitch!
0: <laughs> Man, that's a church I'd go to.
1: That would be great, Father Kingston. Well, uh, the priest took on Matt Seidel next, who was accompanied by the butcher, the blade, and the bunny. And we got we got more subtext here to the bunny's departure from Q.T. Marshall after maxing out his credit cards.
0: Mm, okay.
1: On what? What did she buy?
0: Hmm. They uh... all returned.
1: She's going on an Amazon spree because not a ton of places are open.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing t- maybe at this point, maybe toilet paper, you know, preparing for the next, um, I don't know, pandemic, um, like panic buying. So, yeah, who knows?
1: They really pulled the plug on this story.
0: I can't say it was doing a whole lot. I mean, like they were largely relegated to dark, so I they could have not even explained it. And I don't think I would have really questioned it too much.
1: Eddie Kingston is pissed that Moxley isn't here. He's done talking. And then kicks the camera operator out of the ring. Says, I don't care if they tell you to be in here. Get out of my world. You never trained to be in here. He says, your world champion is a coward. And then he points out that Matt Seidel was the Joker in the Battle Royal. So bring
0: out the Joker. Called him the Joker. Also, like, reminded everybody that he never technically lost. And so he um even did a brief tease like tease lance archer which they cut to so maybe teasing a future program re- between these two
1: mm-hmm. yeah him and jake were just hanging out in the crowd uh so during this match uh tony and jr brought up past i quit matches the one with flair and terry funk and blanchard and magnum at Starcade. after the break seidel leaps from the mat for this head scissors then delivers a meteora goes for a crucifix Kingston kicks out nails him with a body shot and then lands the spinning back fist and then applies John Moxley's bulldog choke submitting Matt Seidel in 810 but then they bring the mic over and make Matt Seidel
0: say I quit as Kingston pretends that he's John Moxley I like the match you know I think Seidel is a really good fit for AEW Uh, in ring you know the man is incredibly consistent and spectacular and I think this is a company where he'll get over probably more so just wrestling than cutting any sort of promo or backstage vignette each week. And in his case, I kind of, I, I, I kind of prefer just to see him wrestle. Um, but man, I didn't like him. Like, I didn't like them making him say, "I quit." Like this, you know. I think you could do something like this with like a Griff Garrison or a Pineapple Pete. But to me, like Matt Seidel, especially after like the bit of hype he put him you put on him coming in as the Joker in that battle Royal. I just think he's a bit higher ranked of a veteran to just like be put in a role like this to me. I feel like him saying I quit should be treated with a bit more significance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't view Matt Seidel all that high in the, in the hierarchy that this was uh, something like detrimental to him. I mean, you are building up your main event, which is to me should be your, your major priority, but I can see that. I just, this is kind of the role I see Seidel being at.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um yeah, I mean, judging by like the past month, it's not like they've given him any sort of big feud other than I suppose Michael Nakazawa finishing that whole thing. Um so yeah, maybe he's only there to kind of fulfill this, you know, semi-jobber role.
1: Then we had our split-screen interview with Excalibur with the Young Bucks, and then in the other screen was FTR and Tully Blanchard. And Excalibur asks Matt How's your ankle? It's fine. It's fine. Nick says, he's hurt. Matt says, I'll be at full gear. My ankle's fine. Dax Harwood is asked, why would you jeopardize this dream match by attacking the ankle? He says, we are not worried about dream matches. We want to be champions and winners cement their legacies. And Excalibur notes that, He's been friends with the Bucks for a long time, and FTR points out, yeah, we know. That's why you have a job here. Matt explains that sometimes good people do bad things, and they don't regret what they've done lately because they had lacked an edge. They call FTR pricks, and they have manipulated their friends. FTR gets bored because they're not being asked any questions, so they walk out of the interview, and it ends with the Bucks stating... Well, Matt stating, if they don't win the tag titles at full gear, we will never challenge for the tag titles again. And Excalibur's reaction was, wow, well, really? So this dream match, the stakes have somehow gotten higher and it just like fades out and we end very abruptly. This felt like Excalibur was legitimately hearing this stipulation for the first time. Um, I, I I, really don't think this, this feud has um, risen to the level of people's expectations of where they would be uh, a week and a half out from their first meeting. Uh, and part of my biggest issue is that especially because Matt Jackson did like 90% of the talking. This just feels so unnatural for Matt Jackson.
0: Playing heel, you mean? Or at least like... um, I've seen him play play heel
1: fine. Like, especially during matches, I think he can play it really well. But in these segments, I don't know. It's missing for me. Like, I just don't feel like there is like a sincerity behind this. Like, it feels like I'm cutting a heel promo is all I hear when he's talking in in this character. And I really am confused as to why they have gone this way and now it's like we're backtracking because it's for the betterment of the match to have this dynamic where we now have this stipulation that makes you want to root for the Young Bucks but like what a contrived way that we've gotten here for this this big dream match that I don't know th- this to me is like one of those WWE matches where you've got this great match and the the storylines have to me actually taken away from from the match and not done what they should which is enhancing it
0: seeing so, sort of the end result of, of it all at this point i mean i think i i'm pretty safe to say that yeah it was probably kind of misguided to have the bucks go so heelish attacking tony uh, shivani kicking people backstage even though it was like done in sort of like a oh cool badass uh, you know kind of comedic way them throwing money at, at, at tony con i i ultimately feel like it didn't really work, uh, in my opinion. I think by the end here, you know, part of the reason maybe is because we never really quite got a reason for why they were um changing so much. You didn't get that until now, where you had, you know, basically Matt say, We were missing an edge and FTR doing what they did to our friends unlocked it within us and we liked the edge that we have, so we're going to keep it. I mean, that kind of makes a bit more sense, but you know, ultimately it doesn't necessarily make for a team that I think I want to cheer for. Um, I thought maybe went a little bit too long without that explanation. And right now they are trying to, you know, give Matt, Matt Jackson, a a body part to, to work over or or to sell throughout the match to make us sympathize with him. While at the same time, he's still trying to be sort of that stubborn, cocky heel. Um, When, yeah, maybe it would have been just a bit more better if it was just straightforward, the Bucks has faces facing a heel team in FTR. It de- definitely does see, seem a bit confusing by the end. Of, well, I'm not going to say confusing because I understand it, but I don't know how effective it is. Um, as far as the segment itself, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good interview that kind of like laid the cards on the table. Finally, for, for the Bucks, I actually quite liked Excalibur in this role. You know, it's a role that's usually reserved for Tony or JR, but I think Excalibur... You know, obviously, as a personal connection with the Bucks. he had a very interesting, kind of believable line of questioning. Everything he asked felt of value, and it didn't just feel like a guy throwing out scripted questions out there.
1: Yeah, I, I actually think that, um, you know, I guess they wanted FTR to be part of this. I think, actually, you could have got through without them and just save FTR for, for their promo segment next week. Not not that it was a, a terrible detriment, but I'm with you. Like, Excalibur was the natural one to have uh, do this particular segment, but, uh, we have one more week to go.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, you know, what do you think of, about them putting the stipulation up there? Like if they, well, I, the I think in the
1: sense, I think one thing is that in AW, you do take these stipulations seriously. Like we built off the fact that, you know, Cody did this a year ago or earlier this year. And, oh, it was a year ago. It was a year ago at full gear, right? That he challenged Jericho and lost. Um, so I think there is that uh, understanding that, you know, a stipulation, this is not, like, a, a year ago the discussion was, well, does this mean Cody has to win? Because there's no way they'll honor this stipulation. Well, here we are a year later, and they've honored it. Um, and I don't think they're going to be creating a secondary set of tag titles for the Young Bucks. So you can argue if that if that helps or, or hurts the match, uh, having, you know, this back-against-the-wall story uh, along with the injury for the, for the Young Bucks.
0: I don't think it hurts. I mean, I think it helps. It it um it it creates another talking point. And maybe kind of confuses, perhaps who might win or who might lose. Um, I don't think the match really needed it personally, but like you know the the fact that they were doing it suggests that they could be telling a longer term story of the Bucks no longer being able to chase the tag team titles, or it means they're they'll win.
1: The town hall was hosted by Tony Schiavone and Dasha Gonzalez. So we had the inner circle and MJF in the ring, and then various members of the roster would get up to the podium to ask questions, starting with Luchasaurus, who asks MJF, with the power of economics, how can you contribute to the earning potential and prosperity of the inner circle? And I just thought this was awesome that MJF gets this crazy question and he says actually i have a chart to to forecast the inner circle's earnings and i had the top financial advisors helping me out and he puts up this graph with the upward trajectory of the inner circle's earnings if he joins
0: wow yeah charts and graphs yeah we we all love them in pro wrestling don't we that's how you know somebody's taking it seriously charts and graphs maybe chris chris harrington is going to be joining the inner circle maybe he's he's the secret secret um guy pulling the strings this whole time
1: he could be then we got uh, brit baker and rebel and i don't know if you saw the like the clip from like donald trump's town hall where there was this older lady that got up and she just tells donald trump that you've got such a great smile you look so handsome when you (laughs) smile and then she like I don't want to say laid into it, but she gave like a pretty like intense question to Donald Trump after like buttering him up with like this. How how nice his smile looks. But anyway, that's exactly what Rebel was uh, channeling here. Uh, Baker then says that MJF has a terrible track record of holding on to friends and Jericho responds saying, I'm not a dipshit like Cody and we won't be letting uh, MJF into our inner circle With our planning and strategies. And if MJF ever tries to turn on us, we'll knock his teeth down his throat. And MJF is trying to uh, uh, quell the tension here from the inner circle. Peter Avalon asks if he can join the group. They all just laughed and told him to fuck off. And then we get Eric B. from Cody, Wyoming. And Eric Bischoff was actually there.
0: Yes. Yes, did not expect a, an Eric Bischoff cameo. I, I mean, I, could, I really like Eric Bischoff in this sort of like once a quarter cameo type of role. I, I, I'd much prefer it to, you know, all the other TV roles he might have had. He's a,
1: he's a very good talker. I mean, this was very brief. I mean, he just got up. He asked a few questions, uh, quoting John F. Kennedy from his inauguration speech and asks what MJF can do for the inner circle. And he says, Friendship. And then MJF is asked, what is something the inner circle can do for you? And he says, one dent in his armor is not being the best team player. But joining these great men, maybe I can learn how to be. Bischoff calls Jericho a prima donna. So Jericho gets all upset about this, acting like a prima donna. So Shivani tells him to shut up. And they continue to go on here. And then Jericho gets into MJF's face and says, how do we know you're not going to turn on us? And MJF goes over everything he's done the past few weeks. He's given them presents. He gave Jericho the best segment of his career last week. What haven't I done? And Jericho says, you haven't beat me. And I'm going to give you the chance at full gear, one-on-one. And if you beat me, you're in. And MJF stares at Jericho, says, I'll do anything to win. And Ortiz tells MJF to shut up. Him and Sammy don't want him in the inner circle. He's not sure about... Uh, or uh, sorry, this is Ortiz. He's not sure about Santana or Jake Hager. Who's off preparing for a fight. So they challenge MJF and Wardlow to a tag match next week. So it'll be Ortiz and Sammy Guevara against MJF and Wardlow while we're getting Jericho and MJF at the pay-per-view.
0: Hey, before I forget, great job with your uh, Jake Hager interview, by the way. Oh, thank Uh, you. That's up there on our free feed right now. So if you haven't checked it out yet, please uh, do so. It was, uh, yeah. Um, very interesting to hear him speak about a variety of topics uh including politics <laughs> yes at <the> yes
1: <laughs> is he a member of the yang gang i think you will uh i think he will get his answer of uh his political leanings yes um but anyway uh i was kind of curious if he would even be part of this segment uh because i mean this was done last thursday but uh obviously obviously not He uh didn't need to be there no, he really didn't need to be yeah. saved for a day to just stand there.
0: Um, I, I thought this was like a really compelling, very interesting segment, and you know, of course, the talk coming out of it is this, in my opinion, a very peculiar matchup uh, that they introduced. I think most would have would have would have assumed Jericho versus MJF to take place, perhaps at the end of this entire program. You know, that might be like months down the road after a series of tag team matches, perhaps months of stories of of maybe MJF properly being in the in, in the inner circle and then getting to Jericho versus MJF here, they are instead using it as the first match of the storyline, or at least first pay-per-view match of the storyline as a form of like initiation almost for MJF to join the inner circle. And so I think it's actually breaking a lot of like established convention and rules about like pro wrestling storytelling, but judging by the program so far, judging by the ability, like the immense talent in these two to tell a proper story or an interesting story, I have nothing but trust for him. Um, I also love, again, all the little side stories of each member of the Inner Circle having their own feelings towards MJF. Like, you couldn't have gone the very easy route and have said every member of the Inner Circle other than Chris Jericho hates MJF and they all want him out. But they're all split on the idea, which is far more realistic and I think offers, you know, far more interesting dynamic. They even break up, like... Santana and Ortiz, the two tag partners, they each have their own separate opinion about whether or not they want MJF. So uh, a really simple way of building to next week's tag match with Santana simply picking up the mic, or Ortiz simply picking up the mic and saying, hey, I don't like you, and Sammy doesn't like you either, so we're going to team up to try to beat you and Wardlow next week. Um, And a big match added to full gear.
1: It's It's like the alliances within the tribe on Survivor right before the merger.
0: Yeah, sure
1: my knee jerk reaction is like yours that, ah, oh, do you want to do this match now when it's just, there's so much more that you can do, but I, I really do trust the instincts of those that are involved in this. And I do kind of like the, the idea of one of them loses and you can also do it that they lose and they have a totally legitimate gripe, like Wardlow could get involved or something, but It's always this lingering thing that these two guys who are always trying to one-up each other, right down to their stake order, one of them will have a win over the other. Mm -hmm. Even though the other might have a plausible excuse for why they lose. And that's kind of why you will always get this powder keg that will explode down the road between them. So I don't don't hate this out of line. And it's a big match for the pay-per-view. I would say it is as uh mm-hmm. you know it's it's one of the top matches instantly for this pay-per-view on a on a show that's that's very like top heavy with your big names in meaningful programs
0: totally agree and you know the more i think i think about it the less i have the less concern i have about like them doing the match here um and then maybe going back to it in a future date i think like often wrestling um and maybe in some cases rightfully so, but, like, we can all get really caught up at, you know, by saying, oh, man, this is the first-time meeting between these two. How are they going to give it away? Well, if the characters and the story are entirely different the second time around, I i mean, the match will be completely different. So, um, that and that's, you know, stands to be the case here, where these two starting out, MJF versus Chris Jericho the first time around, they're, you know, fighting for something that is a bit more kind of, I don't know, they're, they're both heels, you know, they both kind of like each other, but they don't really like each other, but they they really do. The second time they do it, you might have some real beef between them after maybe months uh, or at least weeks of, you know, real contention, real story between them. Yeah, the
1: goal will be coming out of this, like, I think ultimately, like, the, the money is in them all being together, even if it's begrudgingly, but then... Building it to get the audience to actually believe that one of them is not turning on the other. And if you can reach that, then it's mission accomplished. And boom, then you do it when people least expect it.
0: It's, it's the Owens Jericho thing.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Like hit, hit them when they least expect it. Um, but it makes sense in the end of why it would happen. Uh, we got a Team Taz promo essentially putting over Will Hobbs, but the clock is ticking and he needs to make a decision. Lumberjack match for the TNT title, Cody against Orange Cassidy. Cody is out with uh, Arn, Dustin, and uh, Empty Bank Account Marshall. Uh, immediately, both men go for their big moves. We get uh, a tease of the Orange Punch, the Crossroads, and the Mouse Trap that are unsuccessful. And then Cassidy fakes him out for a headlock takeover, and... Cody comes back. He he's doing the push-ups. Arn's yelling at him to get serious. And Cassidy hits his own vertical suplex, goes to the floor and hugs the best friends. Then they do a spot where Cassidy takes a punch, falls back almost like uh, like in a crowd surfing motion, where the best friends catch him and then put him back up on the apron. Then they catch Cody, but instead of putting him up, they just dump him to the floor, and this causes Cody to sucker uh, to nail Trent who then comes back and sucker punches Cody. Uh, We had this uh, half crab applied by Cody, and then Orange is out uh, of the hold and sends Cody to the floor where the Dark Order swarm him, and we have the Dark Order constantly going after Cody, as they promised last week. Meanwhile, Jack Evans and Helico start beating down on Cassidy. All of the Lumberjacks start fighting, and it leads to Cody superplexing Orange off the turnbuckle to everyone on the floor, so we get the, the domino spot. Cody Cutter is hit, then Orange comes back with the Stun Dog Millionaire and the Deep Impact DDT and a beach break, which Cody kicks out of. The Dark Order then distract the referee, allowing John Silver to nail Orange Cassidy. Cody tosses him out and hits the crossroads for the win, and they explain that Cody didn't see what John Silver did to Orange Cassidy. All the Lumberjacks are brawling in the ring for the big chaotic visual, and... Then we get a shot of a uh, Darby Darby Borden in the uh, in the rafters. <laughs> I mean, he's the type. I, of character- I didn't get into this that much, to be honest. Like, I, I thought there was a lot going on here, and it's I don't know. It's it's not like this was bad, but I just thought that there was uh, a spark missing in this match for me.
0: I thought it was decent, but I didn't enjoy it as much as their previous match. Um, the the match is right at this point. This wasn't this like a Second
1: or third? Uh, well, they did the time limit and then this one.
0: It's only a second, right? Yeah. The storytelling is interesting. I think, you know, you continue to see in this match Cody flirting with like a heel turn. He was very cocky against George Cassidy to the point where Arn had to, um, you know, chastise him for not taking it seriously enough. And then it, in the end, though, it's Arn also helping him cheat to win. So um, continuing that that tease of Cody and Arn, I suppose, at this this point turning. Um, I'm I was definitely surprised that they would have Cassidy I mean I'm I'm a little surprised to see them have Cassidy basically fail three times to capture this TNT title. But now that like we've seen the match and execution with the finish that they decided, I don't think it really hurts Cassidy all that much. Like it doesn't really change his position on the card. He's still like a very lovable underdog and it'll kind of make that like TNT title win eventually seem like that much of a bigger you know accomplishment
1: and <laughs> clearing the ring were billy and austin gunn which was done for a purpose uh for for next week's match uh guy that's really growing on me during this pandemic is austin gunn is that right this guy is so excited in the in the crowd like i i feel if we got more of him he'd be aggravating but he's the opposite of uh the the opposite darby allen he's the opposite of darby allen if anything, it's like, like he's got, I think some of the appeal of, of a John Silver, but it might be he might be too over the top if he was uh, overexposed.
0: Yeah, I he think just seems more, like I, a happy dude. I think more Mojo Rawley than John Silver. Who's that? I don't know some guy.
1: I watch WWE. I'm not familiar with uh, this 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 Mojo. Miro and Kip were with the best friends. They forgave them over the arc arcade debacle and they present them with a present for halloween do you get presents for halloween
0: no not me
1: they say trick or treat and attack the best friends and they admit we are not sorry miro throws trent into a wall and miro proclaims i will never forgive you ever
0: and remember everybody, this is a feud over a arcade controller. So, yes. Man, I think it's a really cold feud. Um, I think a disappointing follow up honestly for best friends coming off of that uh street fight that they had with Proud and Powerful. Um, and a really cold team in like Miro and Kip Sabian. I I think I think this kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, this feud needs a needs another quarter. <laughs> They they put over uh, Serena Deeb winning the NWA women's title last night on the on the UWN show, beating Thunder Rosa. And then she flew away from LAX to Jacksonville
0: for tonight's show. I like I love this, you know, the suspension of disbelief. Please trick me. I know that this show is taped. And I, know, I know that you, you did it last week, but let me believe. Let me let me believe. Deeb cut a promo. The game changed last night.
1: And she's defending the title against Layla Hirsch. So the match starts. And there's a long collar and elbow. Hirsch misses in the corner. And Deeb applies, applies his front chancery into a neckbreaker through the ropes. And then it's Hirsch running her shoulder into the turnbuckle and targets the arm. Uh, Deeb cuts her off with a straight jacket neck neckbreaker. And during the picture-in-picture, the feed cut... And then we came back and it's Hirsch delivering a running knee and then goes to the top and misses with a moonsault. It was a great looking moonsault. And then Deeb hits her with like the roll of the dice and hits a reverse neck breaker. Great finds the arm into the into the half crab, like the tequila sunrise, and wins by submission. I, I thought very very good match here between these two. And then afterwards, Excalibur thanked the NWA for allowing this match to occur.
0: It's an interesting working relationship that the the two of them have going on right now. You know, using here an AEW wrestler to promote an NWA belt on Dynamite. Um, it definitely like makes you wonder about uh, you know if any of this has has to do with the future status of Thunder Rosa.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, certainly there's going to be that speculation of her dropping the dropping the women's title and what that's going to mean for her future i mean she's someone that you know has gotten very popular over the last two months
0: well i mean she was also figured into i would say it seemed like she was figured into a lot more on dynamite and AEW itself like it it seemed like they were teasing the sheeta versus thunder rosa rematch uh somewhere which hasn't really been alluded to for several weeks now you know in fact i kind of forget about it but i like serena, serena deep a lot i liked her a lot in this match um you know right now the the women's division aw is really wide open for anybody to like you know take a step up and it's not going to take a whole lot you know because it's a division that they've kind of gone through a lot of names none of them have really caught that much steam lately so in one short week i think it, serena deep has like immediately catapulted her way up there Um, she's got, I I
1: thought Layla Hirsch, you know, looked very good in this as well. Like she, she did a, had a great accounting here.
0: She apparently had a great match with the Hikaru Shida on dark last night. So that might be worth checking out too. But like, you know, it almost seems like AEW is sort of like always in this, especially like their women's division. They're always kind of in this, like (laughs) they're trying to get people off of the starting blocks, you know? Um, and for whatever reason, uh, it's, it doesn't always take, but I think Deeb simply like coming out here, having a really solid performance um, already puts her like in a spot to be ahead of a lot of other AEW women right now on Dynamite. So um, she's up there and I guess, you know, Avidon was supposed to be on this show, got injured. Uh, right. So they took her match off with Tay Conti, but I have to imagine like those two are probably, you know, in the mix to to be kind of pushed up there as well.
1: Then we got uh, the angle of the night. Alex Marvez is with Hikaru Shida. And Alex Marvez explains that Nyla Rose refuses to wrestle until she is granted a title match against Hikaru Shida. Now, this is where I differ from the AEW Women's Champion. Because my response would be, cool, don't wrestle. I'm not going to lose any sleep. But Hikaru Shida says, Nyla, you want me? I want you at full gear. And Marvez goes, okay, there's our match. And that is our women's title match for full gear.
0: I mean, if you're a Hikaru Shida, I think you probably like, you're looking at this division. It's like, Hey, I haven't had a match in a while, or at least I haven't <laughs> like, I want to get on this pay-per-view. You know, I need an opponent. You don't have really anybody else ready yet. So she was probably as eager as Nyla.
1: Well, uh yeah I- i'm sure the match will be fine i just thought the setup was
0: just so uh like it's about as bare bones of a setup as you it
1: could really think. it was like we didn't even have nyla appearing here to even issue the challenge in person
0: well again so much of, th- of it is i think you know like it-, it it shows you the problem that they've had with pushing somebody like a hikaru shida where they've really made no attempt to like tell any sort of story with her it's just like match 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 yes like there are limitations of course with with the language but like you you could give her a mouthpiece you could do like you've done uh what is it like um i'll tell some, you like the, the
1: nwa women's title feels equal if not superior right now to the aew version
0: oh my god just in like in he gets like more focus weeks. it's yeah. like
1: man here's like here's this this you know cross-country traveler that's going off and winning this title and Just beat Thunder Rosa, who's been given all these, you know, spotlights on this show. Like that almost feels that's it does. Like it feels like that's like the the championship. It's got the NWA lineage attached to it. Like it almost feels like this is not a secondary women's title. It feels like it's more of the prominent title. We see more NWA women's title matches than we do AEW women's title matches on the dynamite.
0: You know, it's like it's it's a complaint that like I think has been made for like a good year now with, with the AEW women's division and so I, uh, yeah, it seems like you know this match with Nyla Rose is almost them like going back to the default. Hey, like we have no other opponents, but let's go back to Nyla Rose uh, versus whoever, and uh, yeah, the match will be I'm sure good, but we need story. We need story for the champion. We need story for Harashita. I mean, if it's gonna be Nyla Rose with the championship belt, which I could see them doing actually, I could see them flo- uh, switch switching it, and then maybe going to D versus Nyla for, perhaps. Um, in the end, you 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 need that time to tell stories with the champion. And we just haven't had that yet.
1: Sean Spears is out with Tully Blanchard and he's taking on VSK and Spears puts on his glove, which is inspected by Bryce Remsburg. And they did a very good job of putting over Sean Spears record. This is what we were talking about last week. He's ranked fifth or at least was last week. And he's got this 14 and two record. So it's like this guy is the the best kept secret of AEW this year is this run he's on, and he immediately kills VSK with the C four, takes his time pinning him. This only goes twenty nine seconds. I thought this is like a really nice uh, you know build of Spears. Then he looks out into the crowd and he's being heckled by a man in a bull outfit, and he attacks the bull. Who comes into the ring. And wouldn't you know it. It's Scorpio Sky. Who lays out Spears with the TKO.
0: This was another one. Where it felt like incredibly generic. Like in terms of build. I mean. I I don't know. Um, I know that they've shown some. Like I saw some interaction between these two. it, it was like. Um, Sky walking to the back. And Spears eyeing him. And then um they hate each other i know it's stemming from what like um that episode of dark right like the after yeah after they, dark?
1: They, they they've talked about this on dark but again
0: that's like what was the feud over again it's like um he came out and t- did he get attacked afterwards i don't know i'm, I'm sorry but like i just it, i think it's a very you know it's a feud i I love both wrestlers as scorpio sky in particular i'm happy to see scorpio sky on dark but it's not really a feud that um yeah is 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 all that compelling in my opinion
1: yeah this goes back to that um that special one hour version of uh of dynamite like a month and a half ago
0: yeah we're like what happened it was like
1: stole a moment of uh from spears
0: stole the moment that's right yes okay
1: Next week on the show, they announced Chris Jericho on commentary, MJF and Wardlow against Ortiz and Sammy Guevara, Miro against Trent, Sean Spears against Scorpio Sky, Cody and the Gun Club against Colt Cabana, John Silver, and Preston Vance, and a face-to-face between Jon Moxley and Eddie Kingston, which should be pretty great, mm-hmm. given the promos they've been cutting in the lead-up to this. Yeah,
0: I can see that being the main event.
1: And then the pay-per-view lineup... Uh, our updated card is Moxley and Kingston in the, in the I quit match for the AW title. Cody against Darby Allen for the TNT title. FTR against the tag titles with the stipulation if the Bucks lose, they don't challenge for them ever again. Chris Jericho against MJF. Omega versus Page, Sheeta versus Nyla Rose. Hardy versus Sammy Guevara in the Elite Deletion match. And added to the buy-in is Orange Cassidy and John Silver. And I know we've got one more week. But I I think like you've got I, I almost feel like some of these programs could use an extra week. Like Moxley and Kingston, I think they're pretty much there. Cody and Darby, I think like that that could use something more. Mm-hmm. Um Jericho and MJF is kind of ready. Um Sheeta and Nyla Rose is cold. Hardy and Guevara, it was like forgotten about on this show. Um you know i just think like it's it's a lot to cram all this into one more week uh for the go home show that i think like some of these matches they just feel like they they could use that extra extra push right right and not all of them can get all that big attention on next week's show
0: i don't think you're wrong you know but at the same time i mean it's clear that throughout these episodes their their main focus or was on is on like all the all the top programs and i would say in Mox Kingston, in MJF versus Jericho, even I would say in like Omega and Page, I think they've, you know, done really well. Like those matches alone I think would be enough to sell somebody on this pay per view. And then when you look on paper, the strength of this card, uh, you know, between Cody versus Darby Allen or the promise of like a next iteration of this kind of broken Matt Hardy cinematic match. Um even Cheetah versus Rose or Bucks and FTR, like that to me, like just on paper. They're this.
1: they're not those matches aren't selling the show.
0: Well, either. FTR and Bucks.
1: Oh, FTR and Bucks. Yeah, sorry, I was talking yeah. about like the Elite deletion and the women's title match. Like those are. I, I do that for Omega and Paige. I still would want like that one sit down or something next week mm-hmm. from them. Be beyond just their meeting in the finals. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I don't disagree. But, you know, I, I also think that AEW pay-per-views are very much sold on what's on paper. I mean, of course, it matters, like, what's, you know, what storyline you have as well. But um, for an AEW crowd, and especially on a pay-per-view, they're just looking for hot matches. And I think this card is stacked. Like
1: it, It's a very stacked show in terms of, like, big matches. So, yeah. Um, and, and I would keep it at this. I don't think you need to add on more. I hope no. they learn from All Out that... You know, doing a four plus hour show is not necessary.
0: I compl- well.
1: This this, is, this looks like a lengthy show. Like is like going to go. Oxley and Kingston's going to get like twenty or so. Yeah. Cody and Darby's probably at least fifteen. FTR on the Bucks could be thirty. Omega and Page could be twenty five. Like there, there could be some
0: lengthy matches on this show. The, I I I predict it'll go over four. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's possible. Like even Hardy and Guevara, like that's that's not going to be quick. No. Omega does his his elaborate entrance, quoting Vice, ESPN, SI. He's a trailblazer. He's got an old high school buddy that resides in North Carolina. So we're going to keep that joke running.
0: Yeah, I wonder why North Carolina.
1: And then the sweepers are back with, with Lucha masks on.
0: Well, I guess they never really left. I mean, it's the same set of tapings, but yeah.
1: So Kenny Omega and Penta l0m a rematch from all in and omega comes out and he's got his t-shirt on and phoenix is in penta's corner and then omega reveals underneath the AAA mega heavyweight title that he beat phoenix for that he lays down on the mat
0: yeah a title he hasn't acknowledged in months like isn't this the main is this the main title in triple a yeah, yeah. Just, this is the man. This is the title he's uh, was announced this week. He'll be defending if
1: uh, Triple Mania. So happens. they just
0: haven't had a champion in like nine, ten months.
1: Well, Omega can't go to Mexico, so the, it's it's the title's been not in in circulation.
0: Yeah, well, that's too bad.
1: So they trade chops. Penta's glove comes off, and Omega takes the glove and backhands Penta with the glove. Penta is then. Uh, Attacked with the glove further. And then as Kenny is showboating, Penta catches him with the big chop. Uh, We see uh, Penta hit a Topekon Hero, crashing into the barricade. And then delivers some big leg kicks to Omega. They fight over the barricade onto the water cooler where Omega DDTs him. And then Omega hits his own Topekon Hero... In the ring, he hits him with the Snapdragons, V-Trigger, and kicks out. And Omega is doing his over-the-top pleading to the referee, Paul Turner. Another V-Trigger, and the One-Winged Angel gets blocked. And there would be numerous counters to the One-Winged Angel by Penta. Uh, Penta then sends him to the ramp and hits a Canadian Destroyer coming off the turnbuckle. As he goes to the package pile driver, it's hit. Omega kicks out. He's blocking these pump handles and then catches Penta coming off the ropes with another V trigger. The one winged angel is fought off and Penta gets the arm and snaps it back. And they're explaining that that right arm could be affecting the one winged angel, but then he blocks the pump handle elbows with the bad arm. He comes back punching with the left hand and then hits him with the one winged angel as normal and wins it in 17 minutes 16 seconds and Kenny advances to take on hangman page in the finals
0: on November 7th. I thought this was like a main event that like definitely delivered on what you might expect from a Kenny Omega, like main event. And, you know, maybe, maybe my tastes are just like different these days. Cause like, I felt like it was more of a style that just kind of relies a bit more on big moves and big kickouts when maybe my tastes at the moment are just a bit more in like storytelling within a match. I thought it was a good match. I didn't think it was great. Um, And maybe that just comes down to my personal taste.
1: I thought it was a really spectacular effort from the two that um, this is my, um, my Pollock provision match that should have had the crowd of the, of everything here. Like this was totally tailored for people losing their minds at dude. He kicked out of the package pilot driver. Um, And to me, like, Canned audio is great. It like it's impossible to replicate like a uh a screaming crowd of two thousand people reacting to this. Um but I I thought it was spectacular. Um I mean they they did a whole lot of stuff. Um
0: see, I feel like for me it's like, you know, kicking out of a package pile driver is cool, but I think it would be so much cooler if like the package pile driver meant something, you know? Like it was like if there's story attached to that package package pile driver like it was like yeah and like that to me is the difference between a good kenny omega match and a great kenny omega match you know when like there is sort of like you know like when when somebody like when the bucks are doing like the golden trigger to him you know like there when there's a bit more history attached to it you can't expect that of course in every single match but um yeah i don't know for me there's something missing
1: i i don't know this is just because like Man, in Lucha Underground, like, that arm snap, like, that was... The guy's arm is broken. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that was a significant injury. And, you know, just here in this world, it's not. Like, Matt Jackson took it a few weeks ago, or last week, didn't he? And then Omega here, like, this... It's just a spot. It's just a spot, and, like, to me, it was it was kind of cool to see him like he's punching back with the left hand, but I mean, it didn't ultimately, he struggled a little, but hits the one winged angel. Like at least, uh, you know, he has to go a different route to beat Penta, uh, because of this, I could have done without the arm snapping.
0: I mean, it's, it's one of his most recognized, you know, moves at this point. Um, realistically, yeah. Like it would be great if, you know, it was like the status of a punt, you know, something that you use to take a guy out for an extended amount of time. Um, but for now, maybe, you know, maybe he's just using it to get established. I mean, uh, yeah.
1: So that was Dynamite, uh, a rare, well, not so rare, taped edition of the show and going against Halloween Havoc. Uh, do you get a good sense? Do you think like Halloween Havoc, it's going to be like a noticeable bump? No bump? Uh, wh- What do you see happening? Like, I-, I don't see the outcome being different in terms of, you know, what the all the demos are going to say and the audience, but like what kind of uh rise do you see NXT getting out of this week?
0: Uh, I definitely think it might be a lot, a lot closer than maybe um, people may be giving like NXT credit for. Like I, I definitely see NXT as the bigger show tonight. I, I had curiosity as to, you know, how it look, but ultimately like dynamite was a very enjoyable show. Um, I, I thought it had pretty good matches, really good storytelling if you're kind of on the dynamite path, you're probably curious about NXT. You might flip over to watch it a little bit, but then you might just kind of settle on dynamite once the nostalgia has worn off. But I also don't know how NXT was like paced, you know, maybe they had something really good built up for the end that kept people's attention. Um, I'll say judging by like our, our feedback tonight, it actually seems kind of low for both shows. So usually, though, dynamite, I feel like we we'd get a, a whole lot more, but um, I don't know. Well, it, it's kind of hard to predict. Well, we'll see what happens on, on Thursday.
1: Uh, we've got, oh man, ratings and earnings reports dropping together.
0: What a what an exciting afternoon. You got the charts. I guess I guess Brandon's got the charts ready.
1: Oh yes. Um or MJF. Yes. So on the forum, tonight's show got an eight point five. So a strong number from AEW. Yeah, Sean really from really. yeah. Sean from Albany writes Thoroughly enjoyed tonight's show, especially the main event. That was a pay-per-view quality match between Kenny and Penta. Uh, The rest of the show flew by. MJF and Jericho was good, especially the nod to the Trump Town Hall with the reference to Jericho's smile. My only downside is that I'm not a fan of the stipulation for FTR and the Bucks. This match doesn't need it and to me signals a possible screwy finish. That said, full gear is looking stacked and hopefully will totally deliver.
0: Screwy finish, I mean, like, I definitely, like, AEW has earned the benefit of the doubt at this point, like, that they would not do something that would be so dissatisfying. Like, what has been the most screwy finish that we've seen, like, in AEW?
1: Um, I mean, we got uh, John Silver in there tonight.
0: <laughs> You're right. Yeah, today was actually a pretty screwy finish with, like, Arn hitting the guy with, with the clipboard and then having John Silver with the, with the kick as well. Yeah, that was, like, a very WWE thing.
1: Like right. I think with the with the Bucks and FTR it's the stipulation like like that's a classic stipulation that it's like okay the babyface is putting everything on the line and it's like a wink that okay he's coming through and this one they're trying to plant a seed of doubt because uh, Cody failed when he when he put this stipulation in place
0: yeah or it could be them actually wanting to go through with it for whatever crazy reason um they might have a great idea to tell the story but I I agree. I don't think a match like this, you know, which was already a dream match, needs it. If anything, it's probably something you would save for a rematch. If like you know the Bucks were unsuccessful, they could come back and say, "Give us one more shot. If we lose, we'll never challenge for the belts again." That's something you might even want to save. So we'll see where they go with it. We go to Noah from Vaughn who says, I really enjoyed the show tonight. Full Gear is shaping up to be AEW's best pay-per-view yet with an absolutely amazing lineup. Seems they really want to redeem themselves for All Out, which was a mediocre show by their standards. Kenny and Penta killed it in the main event tonight. So excited for Kenny versus Hangman at the pay-per-view. And if it were up to me, my ideal scenario would be Kenny winning at Full Gear, then beating Moxley for the title and building towards a rematch with Hangman at next year's All Out pay-per-view, where hopefully there could be a big crowd in attendance, but based on the current state of the U.S., I'm not going to hold my breath for that. Uh, 8.5 8. out of 10 show. Um, Yeah, interesting choice of words. Yes, 8.5 out of 10.
1: And Raymond from Sacramento. My feedback is to recommend people check out more of Layla Hirsch's matches. She had a good match against Hikaru Shida on Dark, showed out tonight against Serena Deeb, and has a catalog of other matches from Beyond Wrestling. At Independent Wrestling
0: TV, keep an eye on her. I, I hope they pick her up. You know, she like she offers something different from the rest of the roster. I don't think the roster really has like a known like shooter like in the in the women's division at the moment. And she's very convincing. I've seen I've seen her on Blood Sport. Um, I hope they sign her.
1: Well. That's going to wrap up Rewinded Dynamite. Uh, you can go check out Up Next with their whole review of Halloween Havoc and their costume contest. Are they going to be naming a winner? Did they state that?
0: Um, have a winner in a costume. Can't, can't contest. Can't have a costume contest without a winner, so I, I would I would think so.
1: I think Brayden was uh he went as Hangman Page.
0: Is that right? Okay.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. He had quite the. Uh, Don't spoil it.
0: YouTube.com oh, slash Up Next.
1: That's just a tease. Go check out the rest of the costumes uh, from the Up Next crew. Way and I will be back on Friday night. Rewind to SmackDown for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. We're going live at ten fifteen p.m. Eastern Time. And we will be taking your calls after SmackDown. So check out all of that. PostWrestling.com for all the latest news.
0: That's it. Goodbye. Check out King of the Ring 95.